scripture reading comes from Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Uh, it's on the screen, and it's also in the bulletin. As I read it, you can follow along with me. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray real quickly before we uh, begin. God, we thank you just for uh, this word to us, and we want to pray uh, that it would be something that would really penetrate into our hearts. Uh, we also know that your word... Uh, it's not just words, but it's a living word. It's a powerful word. It's active. And so we want uh, your spirit to um, demonstrate its power uh, in our hearts and our lives. Uh, give us a sense of uh, who you are. Uh, change and form our desires. Grow our faith so that we might uh, come out of here with greater uh, confidence in who you are and the promises that you've given to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to start a new series today, and uh, I mentioned this you know, a couple months ago back in September, but this uh, year, meaning this like academic year, in fall and spring, we're going to f- focus on two things. We're going to focus on prayer, and we're going to focus on fear. In the fall, we went through a series on prayer, and we focused on prayer. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to start uh, a series on fear, and we're going to focus on this topic of fear. And uh, I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but fear is probably one of the most powerful forces out there in terms of how it drives us, in terms of how it leads us to make certain decisions in life, in terms of certain actions. And fear is like this daily companion that is always with us. And, you know, it's it's something that can cripple people spiritually. It cripples us emotionally. It can even cripple us physically when uh, we just feel so anxious and have so much stress in our lives. And fear can kind of be like this weight upon our shoulders Uh, and we feel like we're in a little bit of a cage that we need to get out. And some of us want relief from that kind of experience or that kind of feeling. We want to escape, but it is such a powerful force sometimes that we just feel trapped. Sometimes I think the reasons for our fears are very legitimate because we live in a broken world. Things go wrong all the time, right? Sometimes our fears are generated because we have this really active imagination and... Uh, They're not grounded in reality, but we just kind of imagine the worst is going to happen, and that makes us panic. You know, I've been reading this book by uh, this guy named Jonathan Haidt. He teaches at NYU Business School, 
and he wrote this book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And basically, uh, you know, it's a really fascinating book, especially if you want to understand uh, what's going on in younger generations. And some of the statistics in the book are really quite startling. Uh, one of the things that he notes is there has been a sharp rise in anxiety. So whereas the top reason why college students used to seek counseling uh, was for depression, uh, anxiety has now shot up and now far outweighs depression in terms of why students seek counseling. Uh, one of his conclusions for this is he says uh, the generation has become very fragile and the fragility of the generation, which he identifies as kids born between 1995 and 2012, uh, one of the reasons is actually paranoid and overprotective parenting. So he, he kind of blames parents in terms of how they've parented, in terms of making them a very fragile generation, which means what? That it's not just younger people who have issues with fear, but their parents have issues with fear. So older generations have issues with fear because of the way they parented was driven by fear. Now, even though it may seem like fear is maybe a more uh, acute problem in the modern world, fear has always been around. It's not a new problem. Everybody has always had fear. And one of the most frequent topics in the Bible is actually about fear <laughs> and anxiety. That's one of the things that the Bible speaks to most. There's hundreds and hundreds of verses that either directly or indirectly by reference address this topic of fear. But when we think about fear, it's important to frame it in the right narrative or look at it in the right framework because... Again, in the modern world, when we look at fear, we look at fear as something that has to primarily do with our psychology or something that has to do with our personality. Uh, or fear is something that is neutral, and therefore fear is something that happens to us, and we are a victim to it. But we usually don't associate fear with our sin, right? We usually don't associate fear as something that we need to repent of uh, because we don't oftentimes associate fear and link it with our faith. But I want you to consider this. In Revelation 21, uh, there is this section, and it talks about people who will be thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and it lists these kinds of people. Now, if you're an, uh, somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity, then you probably won't like this passage anyway. But let me tell you what uh, the kind of people it lists. It says, you know, the unbelieving. It says the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, the idolaters, the liars, those are the kinds of people who will be thrown in the lake of fire. But you know what else is on that list? The cowardly, right? In that list of people, the murderers, the vile, the liars, sexually immoral, those who practice magic, the cowardly are in on that list as well. And again, maybe you're surprised by that. I, I know when I read that passage and uh, I saw the cowardly, that gave me pause. And I was like, ooh, why is the cowardly listed amongst all those people? But I think it's because in the Bible's framework, fear is not a morally neutral thing. In fact, courage is not something that only exceptional people have, but courage is something that is expected of all believers. The Bible calls all people who know God and who know his promises to be courageous. Why? Because fear, again, is not primarily a psychological issue or an emotional issue, but fear at its foundation is a spiritual issue. Faith is about where we are putting our trust in, and fear, it reveals what we're putting our trust in, right? Where do you get your security from? What makes you feel safe and comfortable? Everyone has answers to those questions, and those answers will likely tell you what you put your faith in. Uh, I hope my wife 
Is she here? No. Okay. I hope she doesn't mind me telling me this story. Um, you know, actually, she uses it to make fun of me, so I think it'll make me look bad, but I don't care. Uh, <coughs> you know, early on in our relationship, uh, I think this was before we were married, so this was like, you know, in the first couple months of dating, um, you know, we were like on a date, and, you know, we were being cute, and I had my arm around her, <laughs> and, and then we are just like talking, and, you know, uh, she said, she made a comment, she's like, you know, uh, you make me feel really safe and secure, right? And I think that was her way of saying, I'm happy to be in this relationship. <laughs> you know what I said? I was like, Jen, you can't find your security in me. You got to find it in Christ. <laughs> and then she like looked at me. She's like, who says that, right? <laughs> now you know I didn't get married because I'm a smooth talker. <laughs> you know, I, I stand by that statement theologically, of course. Uh, I probably wouldn't say it at this age now, knowing... Uh, you know, that's kind of the dumb thing to say. But anyway, uh, I'm thankful she married me. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, you know, we're, we are creatures of faith, right? We, we have to put our trust in something, and we're always looking for some kind of security. And you, you see it in all kinds of people. You actually see it in children from a very early stage when children have no filter and they just are who they, they, just are who they are. And they oftentimes have like a literally literal uh, security blanket that they sleep with, that they carry around all the time. When they get nervous, when they get scared, uh, they reach for their blanket. When they want to go to sleep in the dark and they're by themselves, they reach for their blanket. They derive security from it. When we grow up, we mature a little bit, right? And hopefully we get rid of that blanket. But, you know, we're still looking for a security blanket. Uh, we look for it in other places. And we want to anchor ourselves to something. Uh, do you feel secure when... You're in control of things. Do you feel secure when you know the plan, when you know the future? Do you feel secure when you have a certain amount of money in the bank? Do you feel secure when you have a certain kind of employment, when the economic conditions are good? Do you feel secure when you're in a relationship? Do you feel secure when everybody likes you? That is your security blanket. Fear is simply the other side of that. And usually what we're afraid of is we're afraid of losing that which we find our security in. So ask the question a different way. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of poverty? Are you afraid people won't like you? Are you afraid people will judge you? Are you afraid of chaos? Are you afraid of losing control? Are you afraid of the unknown? Are you afraid of missing out, FOMO? But I learned there's a new one, faux blow. Are you afraid of being left out? <laughs> How you answer those questions determines what, where you put your trust, right? So what fear actually does to us is it tells us, it's, it's like a window to our faith in terms of what are we really putting our trust in. Now here's the reason why the Bible looks at fear as an offense against God, because the root of that is ultimately idolatry. You are saying, when you put your trust in something other than God, you are saying that that thing has greater power than God. You are saying that the promises of this are greater than the promises of God. Now, when we don't believe in the promises of God, uh, it's not a neutral thing either, but it's basically questioning God's character. You're just saying he either doesn't have the character to be faithful to what he said he would do, or you're questioning his power and his ability to fulfill those promises. If you look at this passage, why is God so upset at his people? Uh, he gives a reason in verse 11 when he says to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? How long will they not believe in me? That's a phrase of faith, friends. Why don't they trust me? 
Why don't they believe in me? They don't believe that God is going to keep his word, his promise, and his promise which, which was, I am going to give you the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And when you say, God, I don't think you're going to keep that promise, think about it, that's incredibly insulting. If somebody says to you, I don't think you're going to keep your promise, what does it say about you? Well, same thing here. When you don't trust God, it is not a neutral thing, but you're basically saying, God, you are not worthy of my trust. So here's what I want to do. This is uh, just going to be like an intro to this topic of fear. We have a lot of sermons to go on fear. But here's the framework that I want to uh, look at this discussion of fear, that it's not something that happens to us. It's not something that is neutral but it ultimately reflects our faith. It reflects where we put our trust. It reflects what we believe about God and whether or not we really trust his promises and trust his character. We only read a short portion of the story, so let me try to paint a greater picture of what's going on. Uh, after God rescues his people from Egypt, saves them out of the bondage of slavery, they wander in the wilderness for many, many years. And the book of Numbers is basically an account of what happens between Mount Sinai and uh, reaching their destination in terms of the land of Canaan. After traveling in the wilderness, uh, the Israelites, they finally reached their destination in the previous chapter, Numbers 13. And the question is, once they reach their destination, now what? So what they do is they send out spies in the land. And these spies are supposed to go and scope out the land and see uh, what it's like. And they're supposed to come back with a report. And the report is this. This is what they say. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they literally brought back fruit, like grapes and stuff. And they said, it's a very fruitful land. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, it's a very discouraging report. You're, you're in the wilderness for many years. You're looking forward to this moment where you're about to enter into the land. All of a sudden, you get a report and you say, ooh, to get into that land, it's going to be a challenge. The people there are strong and the cities are fortified. And to them, you know, they're a wandering generation. They're a nomadic group. How are they going to defeat such strong people? And... So they get discouraged. I would say they get more than discouraged. Chapter 14 is basically their reaction to that report. They hear this report and they basically have this collective emotional breakdown. And again, very understandable if you consider that they've just spent all this time in the wilderness thinking they got into the promised land and getting this bad news. So what do they do? They raise a loud cry. People wept that night. Soon that weeping turns into anger and they begin to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And by the end of the passage, they are ready to stone Moses and Aaron. They're ready to kill them. They say, we want new leaders. Now you ask yourself, how do you get to that point? Right? How do you get to that point? Fear. Fear. That's how powerful it is. When Joshua speaks to the congregation, he makes it pretty clear that fear is a reason they got to that point. In verse 9, he says it twice. Do not fear the people in the land. And then he says it again. Do not fear them. Now, there's a couple things I want to reflect on in this passage, just very, very briefly, but just to draw out the dynamics of fear. And there's basically three things I want us to see. First, fear has a power, I think, to distort reality. Uh, notice the congregation says in verse 2, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And then in verse 3, Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? To Egypt? Where they were slaves? <laughs> Would it not be better to go back there? 
Are you kidding? They're saying, yes, it would have been better to go back there. Why did you bring us here? And uh, you can see the power of fear and how fear can really infect the imagination and lead them to believe things that are not really anchored in reality. Uh, you know, you see this in daily life, don't you? Uh, for example, you know, I, some people are afraid of commitment. And, uh, you know, when they meet somebody nice, they start to come up with all these reasons why they can't commit to them, right? And how many of those reasons are really rooted in the reality of the situation or the reality of that person? Uh, you say things like, well, yeah, this guy, you know, he's just like too nice. And because he's too nice, he, he's got something to hide, right? Or, uh, you know, you say on the flip side, uh, yeah, you know, she's like so considerate, right? She like thinks about everything about me. That must mean she's like a very manipulative person, right? And uh, people are saying, are you crazy? What are you thinking about? Th th that's not true. This person <laughs> really is a nice person or this, uh, this person is really considerate to you. You're, you're so lucky and blessed to be with this person. But if you have this fear of commitment, it, it changes what you see. Now, here's the flip side. If you're afraid to be alone, uh, you meet somebody who's not so nice, right? That's a more dangerous situation. And you come up with all these reasons why they're good for you, why they're a great person. Uh, maybe you say, yeah, I know my dates with him uh, have been just kind of me watching him play video games all day, but at least he's passionate about something, right? Uh, yeah, I know she, uh, you know, sometimes she like berates me and she's very critical of me all the time, but that point, she just cares about me as a person. She wants me to grow, right? And, and meanwhile, friends around you are probably thinking, are you crazy, right? Look at this person. But again, fear has the power to distort what we see, what is grounded in reality. Uh, some of you may know people who are so blind and you're like, how do they see that? How do they believe that? And uh, a good answer is fear changes what people see. If people are fearful, they don't always see reality as it is. I think that's what fear did to the Israelites. It distorted reality and made them think, gee, maybe life in Egypt as a slave would be much better than what God promised. Second thing, fear often leads to things that we are, uh, leads us to do things that we are not going to be proud of. And uh, we can easily say that this is a passage about anger because the people get angry and they're ready to take the lives of the very people who brought them out of slavery. But that's the power of fear. It touches upon everything. Think about the last time you were angry and ask yourself, how much did fear play in how you responded in a certain situation? These are things you probably know, right? Who are the worst kinds of people to be around? Who are the worst kinds of people to work with? Who are the worst bosses to work for? It's probably going to be the most insecure ones, right? Uh, it's the ones who always need the attention. It's the ones who always need the credit. It's the ones who always throw other people under the bus. It's the ones who don't like an idea unless it's their own idea. What makes people so pleasant? It is an insecurity that is rooted in fear. They're afraid of being exposed as being uh, incompetent, as being useless, as being unnecessary, as being inadequate, or whatever else they might fear. I once had a job where I was constantly getting thrown under the bus by a director of another department, and the reason I was getting thrown under the bus all the time was because she wasn't performing well, she was afraid of losing her job, and her response was to basically blame others to save herself. And I am sure that you encounter people like that all the time. Think about abusive relationships. Uh, it could be an abusive relationship in a marriage. It could be an abusive relationship between a parent and a child. It can be an abusive relationship between an employer and an employee. 
And I bet the reason people are going to be abusive is because they are covering up a deep insecurity. That's how bullies operate, right? They tear down others in order to feel better about themselves. And I am sure there are many people here who have experienced abuse in some kind of form or some relationship, whether it's through a romantic partner, a parent, an employer. And my guess is the person who abused you was a person filled with fear and insecurity. Maybe they were afraid they weren't meeting expectations. Maybe they were afraid you wouldn't meet expectations. Maybe they were afraid uh, that of lacking control and their one way to get control is to try to control you. Maybe they're afraid of intimacy and being known. Maybe they're afraid of rejection. Fear does all kinds of weird things to us, but it always leads to responses that we are not going to be proud of. Third, there's actually a lot of good reasons to be afraid. There are. To say that there aren't is just not reality. Not all fears are without reason, right? Some fears are very reasonable. You know, if you're in the car with somebody and they're driving 125 miles per hour <laughs> with a blindfold on, you should probably be afraid. That's a good reason to be afraid. If there's a financial crisis and companies are going down and people are getting laid off left and right, it's very reasonable to be afraid. When Jesus says not to be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear, do you know who he's telling that to? Poor people. And it's very reasonable for them to be anxious about what they will eat and what they will wear. And when you look at this chapter, if you think about the situation, that they're planning to take land away from people who are strong, from fortified cities with a weak army, is it not very reasonable to be afraid? I think it's very reasonable to be afraid. And you see, th the Bible never says there are no good reasons to be afraid. That's not what it's saying. We don't know what the future holds. Tragedies do happen all the time. Things never go as planned. People face health issues. People get laid off. Relationships end. The Bible never says there's no good reasons to be afraid. But here's what the Bible does say. There is a better reason to not be afraid. There's a better reason to not be afraid. And what is that reason? Look in verse 9. It says this, And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. That is the good reason why we should not be afraid. You know, if you read the book of Joshua, it's all about how Israel gets the land of Canaan, the promised land. And what that book teaches us is that when God's presence is with his people, they win the battles. The reason they shouldn't have been afraid, even in spite of circumstances where it's very reasonable to be afraid, is because God's presence was with them. I gave this illustration back in September when I introduced this, but I want you to imagine for a moment you are walking through some kind of scary situation. Maybe it's like a dark alley in a dark park with very little lights and you're just kind of walking through. You hear people shouting and screaming at each other. You hear some footsteps running towards you and you're walking alone and you probably feel a little bit scared, right? Now imagine a scenario where you're not walking alone but one of your friends is walking with you. Are you less scared? Probably. Now imagine that you're walking not just with one friend but you're walking with a group of friends. Are you less scared? 
Probably. Imagine you're walking with a friend who happens to also be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Are you less scared? Probably. Uh, you know, I've been watching The Punisher on Netflix. Imagine you're walking with The Punisher. Are you less scared? Yeah, you're going to be less scared. Why? Because of the person that you're walking with, because of their power, their ability, and their presence with you, right? There is a difference between walking alone and walking with somebody who you really trust, whose power and presence you really trust. And if someone is powerful and is with you, it does have a very real effect upon your fear. You know what Joshua is saying here? God was with Israel, and that's why you shouldn't be afraid. God is better than the punisher, right? <laughs> God is with Israel, and you shouldn't be afraid. You know what the Bible says to us today? God is with you even more than he was with Israel in a special and unique way because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, he came and he dwelt with us in a very special way. And that physical dwelling led to something. It led to the death upon a cross so that fearful cowards such as us, we would be spared from judgment so that we would be received as little children by a loving father and so that God's presence would dwell with us even more powerfully. You know what Jesus does? He sends the Holy Spirit who dwells among us in such a powerful way that we would have access to a cosmic spiritual power that can cast out all kinds of fear. That we can be bold, that we can be courageous because we have a presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You know, if the world is broken, which I think is obvious, if the effects of sin are real, there are a lot of good reasons to be scared in life. But every time you feel that fear, ask yourself this. If the God of the Bible is real, if the gospel message is true, then we have an even better reason not to be afraid. I think part of it is we need a sanctified imagination to, to know that even as we think about our futures. <coughs> uh, my, my wife's biggest fear uh, is that I will die <laughs> young or die soon. And, uh, you know, the first time I went to uh, one of these trips, the first time I went to Turkey a couple years ago, uh, what I did is I wrote down all of our banking information, all of our logins and passwords, and I gave it to her. I said, just in case something happens, right, you should have this information. And she didn't appreciate that because she's like, why are you giving me this? What, what's supposed to happen? I'm like, no, I think it'll be safe, but just in case, you should have this. And... Uh, you know, she was like pretty freaked out. She was like a little bit scared. I was like, oh, right, if you go on this trip, are you going to die? I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to die. But just in case, right? You know, what can I say to her? Uh, I can't say, no, nothing will happen to me, right? I don't know that. I, ca I, I can't say that. I can't even say that here. Who knows? Maybe I'll get a terminal illness. I can't say that I won't. I can't say that I won't get hit by a car today. I hope I don't, but I don't control that, Right? Those kinds of things do really happen in life. But I think the best thing you can say is this. Look, whatever your worst nightmare is, you have to believe and you have to trust that God is good enough and powerful enough that he will be with you even if your worst nightmare comes true. And you have to imagine your future like that. Right? Is that easy? No. 
But does God give us the gift of faith and his presence? Does that really make a difference in life? Hey, if God is real, it should, right? It should. Even if our worst, worst nightmare becomes a reality. You know, we can be sure that God is good, that God is powerful, that God is present, that God is with us because he proved all of that when Jesus died on the cross. That was the vindication of his promises that we were secured in our life and salvation. Even our futures are secured in a sense. Maybe not our immediate futures, but our eternal futures are secured that there is a resurrection to come, that Satan has been defeated, that when he returns, all wrongs will be made right, that there will be no tears, there will be no death, there will be no sin. And if that is all true, there's no reason to be afraid, friends. In spite of all the nasty stuff that we see in the news, there is no reason to be afraid. I'm going to stop there because, um, again, this is something we're going to explore for uh, maybe about two months or so. But here's, here's what I hope. You know, I, I do hope that some of this will be personally beneficial to you. <coughs> I hope that you'll see some fruit in your life. But here's, here's what I really hope, beyond just personal and individual benefit. Uh, I think if we really grow in this area and we become more courageous people and we don't let fear drive us, I think there's going to be a lot of spiritual power unleashed. I think fear probably holds us back more than we realize in terms of being who God created us to be. And I think if we grow in this area, I don't think we'll get to a point where fear is completely vanquished and it'll, of course, be a daily struggle. But I think if we grow in this and grow in our trust of God and fears, right, we let them... <laughs> We push him down a little bit. I think we're going to see amazing things in terms of what God is able to do. Uh, we looked at believers' prayer for boldness uh, in the book of Acts a couple weeks ago. Can you imagine, what if the early believers were driven by fear? What would have happened to the gospel message? What would have happened in the early church? Who knows, right? Who knows? Here's what I want you to imagine. Can you imagine a small congregation like ours not being controlled by fear, fear of our career and our success and what people think about us, all, all of these things. Can you imagine what a congregation like that would look like and do? I think that's what's really exciting. So I do pray that uh, as we reflect upon fear and even, yes, repent of fear, that we will become bolder and more courageous and we will see God do amazing things through uh, the gift of faith that I hope he gives to us. Let's pray together.